Welcome to Communicate Like You Give a Damn, the podcast. Our guests share their stories and approaches to embedding diversity, equity, and inclusion in communications because, I mean, let's be honest, we know the power of language. And language leads to behavior. So thank you. Thank you for joining us in leveling up your communications. I'm your host, Kim Clark. And DEI communications, it's, it's kind of my thing. So let's get into it. Let's learn more about how to communicate like you give a damn. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Communicate Like You Give a Damn. I'm Kim Clark, and I have an extraordinary guest uh, today. Alexandria Dunn comes to us from Chicago, and she has a very important story to share with us as communicators who are learning more and more about what diversity, equity, and inclusion is and isn't, and how to tell that story within our organizations and partnering with our PR buddies, our marketing buddies, and social media on how we tell that story externally as well. We have got to get below the surface. We have to get beyond being performative and learning what performative is because As I always talk about, language leads to behavior, and Alexandria's story just unfortunately manifests that that phrase that I use all the time. Language leads to behavior. There is real life costs to us not digging deeper into HR, legal, um, and you know our friends over in marketing and PR, et cetera. So there's real life consequences, and that's what you're going to hear today in this podcast. This isn't fluff. <laughs> this isn't a nice to have. This isn't this is something else that we have to do with our job. We've got to get beyond that limited thinking and really understand that there's real lives at stake here. So Alexandria, thank you for coming onto the to the podcast. I appreciate your time and you sharing your story. And um, so please introduce yourself. Yes, thank you, Kim. I'm Alexandria Dunn. I'm here in Chicago, as you mentioned. I'm a management consultant. I was most recently at CCC Intelligence Solutions. I was there for about four and a half years before I was fired on October 19th. Um, I've been following the genocide that is happening in Palestine, and I follow a lot of social justice people on LinkedIn, people who are very politically engaged who are posting a lot about politics, particularly since George Floyd's murder. That's when I really started following them. So I was very surprised to log into LinkedIn and to not see any of my colleagues, my comrades on LinkedIn talking about Palestine at all. So I posted that I'm not seeing a lot of my feed um, about the ongoing genocide Israel is perpetrating against the Palestinian people right now. So I just want to say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Uh, The next day, I got a call from CCC's HR department towards the end of the day, letting me know that I had been suspended. They had received an anonymous uh, report on my post that LinkedIn only had up for about five hours. (laughs) They took it down pretty immediately. Um, And that I was being suspended. I would be locked out of all of my accounts, my computer, um, and that they would have to do an investigation um, the person on the phone, the HR woman on the phone, she was just acting very normal. So I was trying to bring her outside of the normalcy of her calling me about a personal LinkedIn post that I made saying that Palestine will be free. So I just let her know that there's nothing normal about this, you know, that this is my personal space on my LinkedIn account. I didn't say that CCC believes this. Um, and I add that detail because the next day when I, they fired me, they said that 
Um, my post went against their values, not their policies, their values, and that I was uncooperative with HR on the phone in me trying to pull her out of the reality of her calling me about this. And for those reasons, I, I was terminated effective immediately without severance. Okay. So, so many questions. Uh, <laughs> so the first one that I'd like to ask is what are their values? Which value um, were you, as far as speaking for liberation and freedom, end of occupation, et cetera? Um, it, what, what value, what are their values that you were not living up to? That's a great question. I like to think that I am actually very familiar with CCC's values because I was the co-chair of the inaugural Black Employee Resource Group. CCC added inclusion and diversity to their values um, back in 2020 after George Floyd was murdered. And that's when they started uh, supporting employee resource groups. So, I mean, all of their values, it's really like integrity, inclusion, diversity, teamwork. I mean, a lot of the same kind of values that you would find for any corporation that, you know, is, wants to foster teamwork and moving forward together and things like that. In my mind, you know, it goes against their values to fire me for this, especially given that their values are inclusion and diversity. And they at one point were making an effort to make change, make real change, what I thought at the time, make real change in light of um, the uprisings that we saw in 2020. So I don't have a good answer for your question, Kim. I don't know exactly what values I violated. I even checked out the social media policy just to make sure I didn't break any policies. But, you know, I, I think it really was that they were upset and they just wanted to get me out fast. Okay. All right. Uh, and you were a full-time employee for four and a half years. Yes. Yeah. And your performance, how was your performance, the feedback you were getting on performance? I got excellent feedback on my performance. Um, I was doing so well at in, in my role that I just received the biggest new account literally two weeks before I was fired. They gave me a huge account. Um, and another thing I'll say about my performance is that I was included. There are about 2,000 people at work who work at CCC. And um, when CCC went public in 2021, I was part of a high-performing group of employees, about 200 of us, that were selected for higher rates of um, RSUs. So I was a high-performing right. employee. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so... All right. So tell me more about your role in, in, in the, well, first of all, kind of a little bit more of the history of the employee resource groups within the organization and then your uh, relationship and your contribution to them. Yeah. So CCC did not have any employee resource groups prior to George Floyd being murdered. Um, that was really the catalyst for their entire diversity program. And I remember back in 2020, um, in the weeks after George Floyd's murder, here and all across the country, there were all of those protests, rallies, riots, you know, really everything going on. And I saw a lot of companies coming out and, you know, showing their support, saying that this is not right. We support the people, you know, all of that good stuff. Uh, CCC did not say anything. They did not say anything. And it was not until I sent a note to my direct manager and her boss, the director of my group, 
expressing my disappointment in the fact that CCC wants to be a leader in all, on all of these other fronts. You know, they really are so thoughtful about their sales strategy, about their, how they make up their teams, all these other things. But when it comes to this, when it comes to liberation, um, they want to be quiet about it. And it's really funny because as soon as I sent that note, that actually made it up through the chain really quickly. I was talking to an SVP within hours. So they, and that told me when I reflect back on that moment, that really does tell me that they are very concerned about their image. They do not want their employees thinking that they don't care. They're not engaged, you know, things like that. So they started the ERG program in the months following uh, George Floyd's murder. Um, I was invited to come along as the co-chair of the ERG. Um, I was the co-chair with a um, much more tenured uh, colleague of mine named Broad. He'd been at the company for about 25 years. Um, so he tapped me to partner with him to do this. And we partnered together with the chief strategy officer. His name was Mark Fredman. He volunteered to be our executive sponsor, as well as the HR lead for uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. Her name was Julie. So we were tasked with understanding what the Black community at CCC needed at that moment to feel supported. Um, and we actually got together to come up with a forward-looking program that engaged what the Black community needed, but also what the Black community believed other people around CCC needed to know about us. So... We held monthly meetings. We had about 70, we started off about 50 people in the ERG, got up to about 100. Um, we had committees working on recruiting, um, working on events, things like that. Um, but when we were really asking our uh, colleagues, you know, what do you want to see from us? What kind of programming do you want to see? What do you want other people who are not black here at CCC to learn about our community, to learn about our struggle? And the feedback that we were getting, which I was really happy to get, was anti-racism. Like, that's what we need. We need to understand what anti-racism is. We need to talk about anti-racism. So Rod and I brought this back to CCC leadership, Mark and Julie. And, you know, at first they were on board because, you know, they want to do the right thing. And this is what we're telling them that the people want. But as they learn more and more about anti-racism, and really anti-racism does get at the core, you know, immediately gets to the core of uh, DEI um, and really does tie it back to liberation. I think they recognize that, though, because then they started throwing up all these hoops that we had to jump through. We had to go to the executive leadership team. We had to, you know, write up a proposal, things like that. So we started going through those hoops. It took several months to do. Um, we engaged an anti-racism speaker, um, and we were going to invite them to do a soft launch within the ERGs. So the plan was to do a soft launch within the ERG and then open it up for discussion for amongst the entire organization. Um, so that was planned for last October, actually. Last October, we were planning that. In September, um, we had our monthly meeting. And every monthly meeting, we also had facilitated discussions. So that would just be an opportunity for everyone in the meeting to discuss a topic that was pertinent to the Black community in a very safe space, in a space that we intentionally made safe by saying that, you know, you're welcome to share your feelings here, like there's not going to be any retribution, things like that. So um, in the September meeting, we uh, our facilitated discussion topic was the IPO. 
because we had gone public a year before. So the question that I sent around to everyone was, you know, how has CCC changed since the IPO? What's the same? How do you believe that diversity, equity, inclusion informed the IPO process? I asked that within the discussion process. Yes. And I asked that intentionally because I knew, I knew that diversity, equity, and inclusion had nothing to do with the IPO process. Um, but I wanted people to think about it. Yeah. Um, and I sent around, you know, exactly. Yeah. On everything. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and as I did every month, I would send around questions and I also, also send around just contextualizing articles, uh, supporting materials, just to get people in the mindset. So along with those questions, I sent along a Time magazine article that was titled, um, the top 1% have stolen, I think it's something like a, a trillion dollars from the mm-hmm. bottom 90% in the past 50 years, and that's made the country less safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so I send that around, and we get on the call, and Mark and Julie are on, and they're on camera, and they are livid. <laughs> they are mm-hmm. so mad, like right off the bat. And um, so we start the meeting, and it's going well. You know, I figured that not a lot of people were to participate because I know people hate talking about money, but we tried to make it again as safe as possible. But Mark is texting Rod, my co-chair, saying, "Wrap it up." Like, and he also is like, "I don't see what this has to do with black people." Like, what does our IPO have to do with black people? So I think that really just does show you, you know, how, like, it's it's really, DEI is really in a box for them. It's just, okay, we've got these check marks over here. As long as we're doing these things over here, then why would they care about what's going on with the IPO? Or, you know, why there's no people of color in the ELT or, you know, in the executive leadership team, that is, things like that outside of the CEO. So... Um, we wrap up our conversation and then as soon as we get off that call, Mark and Julie schedule an 8 a.m. meeting for me and Rod for the next day, <laughs> which of course scares us. But ultimately they wind up moving the meeting and they tone down their uh, their uh, feedback for us and they just say, can we just have more of a input in the questions moving forward? Which was disappointing because I thought that we could have a real conversation because obviously they were upset, you know, and if you're upset, like, let's talk about why are you upset? <laughs> let's have a real conversation about it. And my hope would be that, you know, we would ha- be in a good relationship enough to have an honest conversation about what's upset you and maybe to help you see how this is pertinent to all Black people here at CCC. But I mentioned all of that to say that uh, in October, when we were planning to welcome the anti-racism speaker, um, the... Uh, we met with Mark and Julie and Mark shut down the anti-racism speaker. He canceled our October meeting behind our backs and uh, we couldn't, and we couldn't bring the anti-racism speaker on anymore. Um, And I got a formal warning threatening my job over this. They said I'd been insubordinate by planning. Was the date long ago? I'm sorry. What was the date? How long ago? This is a year ago. This is last October. Okay, mm-hmm. this is all last happening October. in September and October of last year. Yeah, this is all okay. happening in October last year. Okay. Um, they said, I mean, it's a lie. They said that I had been planning the anti-racism speaker on my own, which was so bizarre to me because they had been on all these planning meetings. So it's just so bold to put this in a formal letter that I've been doing it on my own. Yeah. Um, and yeah, threatening my job and saying that, you know, I need to do like fall in line, basically. I needed to fall in line. And I remember telling them that I'm not scared. Like, you're not going to scare me into falling in line. Like, the, what I was tasked with 
what me and Rod were tasked with was translating what Black people here at CCC wanted to see from us and from leadership to better support them in our struggle for liberation. Mm-hmm. And that is what we've been doing. And something else I'll note too was about the um, the formal warning that I got is that Rod didn't get one. Rod did not get a formal warning. I only got a formal warning. And I think that really does speak to, I, I'm thinking about like the historical, like, imperialist strategy of divide and conquer, you know, like when you go into, you invade a new place, you need to make sure that the people fall in line behind you and not unite against you. And that is exactly what they tried to do with me and Rod is to isolate me and say that I've been doing all of this, even though we had all four of us been on all these calls together. So in the months after that, they pushed me and Rod out of our roles. When we uh, joined the ERG as co-chairs, they let us know that every ERG from this one moving forward, all the co-chairs would have a two-year um, tenure as co-chair just to give everyone time to actually make an impact in the role. They changed, they introduced a new ERG handbook that said that all co-chairs um, could only stay on for a year. And that was last November. And it's funny, in the weeks before I was fired, they updated the handbook in this, this or a few months ago, this past September, to say it's back to two years. So they clearly wanted to get us out. Uh, the anti-racism speaker never came on. They never even reached back out to them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what has all led up to my firing uh, this past October, that they were already... They were already upset that I was trying to get at the core of why we're here, why we're doing this, instead of just saying, okay, let's do the celebrations and let's be happy with that, you know? Right. Okay. So there's so many things I want to say. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to just, just a couple of things uh, here is. What I just looked up while I was hearing that portion of your story is a graphic um, that, let's see, who did it? It's adapted from the Chronicle of the Problem Woman of the Color of Color in a Nonprofit. I know this this relates not just to nonprofits, but also for mm-hmm. public and, and private in- organizations. So the name of the name of the graphic, and I will put it, I will post it and send a link uh, with the show notes so people can take a look at it themselves. And I've shared this with clients who say that they want to attract and retain specifically women of color in the workplace. And there's, have you seen this? This It's a graphic that kind of outlines the journey, if you will. I don't um, know what I have. Okay. All right. So it starts with the woman of color enters the organization, step one. Mm-hmm. And then step two, white leadership, there's a honeymoon phase. The woman of color feels welcome, needed, happy. And then there's this kind of uh, subtext of tokenized hire. Like, yay, this is helping with our, our, you know, our diversity hiring goals, right? And then then there gets into the next phase, which is reality. Mm-hmm. The woman of color points out issues within the organization. She tries to work within the organization's structure and policies, and she pushes pushes for accountability. Everything so far is checking out in your experience here. So this phase is the repetitive injury and microaggressions. Next phase, denial of racism. 
The response is the organization denies, ignores, and blames. The responsibility of fixing the problem is placed on the woman of color. People of color are pitted against one another. Like this is freaking textbook. It is. While I'm hearing your story, I look up the graphic. I'm like, this this path sounds really familiar. <laughs> and then the last step is target and attack. Retaliation. Retaliation. The organization decides that the woman of color is the problem and targets her. The organization labels the conflict as a communication issue or claims that she is not qualified or not a good fit. Your and then the woman of color exits the organization. Wow. That is the path that mm-hmm. was laid out in this in this graphic that you just experienced, specifically yep. over a three year period. But in a very you know, but your communication issue was that you made a personal statement on your LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm being consistent of who you are when they in when they started the employee resource groups when mm-hmm. they put, put out a DEI statement when they started putting together DEI strategies and goals and 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 setting up the governance and the structures of the employee resource groups they were they were setting things up to have the conversation Right. And you stepped in and said, I want to be a part of this. This is fantastic. I sent Mm -hmm. you this note about the murder of George Floyd. You listened to me. We did something. There's action in place. We've got momentum. You have stayed consistent through all the ebbs and flows and the shifts and changes of the organization. You have stayed consistent in your integrity of who you are when you signed up as, as part of the ERG, when you sent that original email about the murder of George Floyd all the way through asking very valid questions of a DEI lens on an IPO. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to help people connect the dots of yes. impact so they are not re-injuring an old deep wound. You're trying to save the organization from itself to mm-hmm. say, here are the actions that you're taking and we're missing opportunities to live up to our DEI commitments. If we just go without thinking through, you know, the aspects of DEI, having a DEI lens on the decisions that the organizations are making. You're trying to help them be in integrity with what they say and what they do. And you're the Mm -hmm. one that's pushed out, even with a personal post. Even with a personal post. post. It's not like you sat in a client room as a management consultant and started going off. It was a personal post. You were being consistent from the email around, mm-hmm. you know, we should be doing and saying something about the murder of George Floyd to, you know, Free Palestine. Mm-hmm. You've been consistent through this. And they have gone through this, you know, mm-hmm. ping pong, like pinball kind of experience here. This, it's not a new story. Yeah. But it's a real story that needs to be talked about. It needs to be heard as communicators, Alexandria. Mm -hmm. Some of us are still learning what DEI actually is. Some of Mm -hmm. us are still in that performative stage, which is what I'm trying to desperately move communicators through to help us understand Mm -hmm. the real world impact that our words have and to understand what the work is so we can tell a story 
that is authentic and <laughs> and honest and transparent within our organization. So in general, what would you say around what organizations truly need to be taking more seriously when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion? And where do we go from here in, in disrupting this pattern that this graphic just completely predicted Mm-hmm. It's, I know. <laughs> it's so freaking embarrassing that the organization literally followed a pattern here that was built on a graphic. You know, <laughs> they fell into this pattern, and and yeah, and, exactly. and, exactly. and you're you're victimized by this, and, and it's mm-hmm. and it's wrong. And so, mm-hmm. as communicators, we know we need to know that this is happening, and we need to understand what our role is in, in contributing to allowing this to happen. Mm-hmm. If we have vague, empty statements, it's that's a good place to start to say, we need to be very, very tailored about who we are and what we're about. So share with us what, how you see the role of organizations in, in what is that work in diversity, equity, and inclusion that organizations need to step into? Yeah. Um, I mean, from from my experience with CCC and working with them in DEI, it really was just that their leaderships, their, the leadership team was not engaged. The leadership team was so focused on how the organization looked, on how their leaders looked in leading these efforts rather than enacting real change. I want to kind of like go out a little bit further than the organization and kind of think about the idea of perform like of being performative. Yeah, great. It is so easy for people at work to be performative because if you think about like work, we don't think of it as part of life. Like we think about like work life balance. You know, like it's it's like a part of us that is outside of our lives. And at work, we can like it's easy to separate. You know what is happening outside versus what is happening in this organization. I think a lot of people, especially a lot of um, white folks in DEI, it's so easy for them to divorce DEI from liberation. Like when I was talking to the CCC leadership about white supremacy, you know, and the role of white supremacy, and we had a, an in-person meeting um, last August, and I was telling the chief strategy officer about white supremacy, and. I must have said something that upset him because he said he told me that I'll never get him with white supremacy because he had um, he had family members who died in the Holocaust. So, like, it really that story for me just really represents like the cognitive dissonance of yeah. okay, we are really like talking we're talking about white supremacy like that's the same enemy that is the exact same enemy, right. and yet because we're in this room, you have this title of chief strategy officer. I'm a management consultant. My colleague is a field consultant. Like we're lower on the totem pole, you know, but he's also used to being in rooms where he knows everything and people are listening to him about everything. So for me to come in and sell and tell him something that he might not realize about white supremacy because he's a white guy, it immediately triggered like, well, you're not going to get me with that. You know what I'm saying? So I feel like that divorce of liberation from DEI, that divorce of real life, because liberation is like real life. That's what we're living out here, not when we're at work. That divorce of real life from our work life and liberation from DEI is what makes it so easy 
for people to be performative in this. It, they don't think that DEI will actually inform the liberation struggle or even help the liberation struggle. They're not maybe even thinking about the liberation struggle. They're just thinking, okay, here are our metrics, here are our goals, this is what the CEO needs, this is what the board needs. Yeah. We'll make sure that we look good here. It's not about liberation, it's not even about anti-racism, or even about what the black folks want at the company. We look good, we have the ERGs, we're getting more ERGs, we're getting more black folks. Yeah, we let go of a few black folks, we're gonna get more in. <laughs> so I don't know, that's kind of the context that I've been thinking about, especially when it comes to like being performative and what organizations need to do. We really need to tie together DEI with the liberation struggle because DEI was formed out of the liberation struggle, outside out of the civil rights struggle in the 60s. That is liberation struggle. So yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry if that was a little bit outside of your question, but that's- No, it was, it was, it was perfectly, it was, per, it was perfect. Thank you. And you're reminding me um, to uh, let our listeners know that they need to go and see Ava DuVernay's new film, Origin. Um, mm -hmm. It uh, tells the story of Isabella Wilkerson uh, and the how she generated the idea to write cast mm -hmm. the origins of our discontent. Discontent, um, and the this it, in part I had the opportunity to see it in December of 2023 uh, while it was open in Los Angeles, um, and. Uh, <laughs> I was one of three white people, I think, mm -hmm. uh, in, in, in there, and that needs that 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 number needs to significantly increase. As to your point of the person kind of shutting down their own opportunity to learn from you about mm -hmm. something they couldn't possibly know mm -hmm. <laughs> from their personal lived experience, exactly. it's like they exactly. how would they know? So we exactly. need to be stay open to that learning um, mm -hmm. from somebody who would know, mm -hmm. and 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 allow ourselves to be coachable. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and talking about, uh, you're talking about the Holocaust, white supremacy, that is something that is talked about as part of the connective tissue that Isabel Wilkerson uh, calls it within her book, Cast. Mm -hmm. uh, she pulls together the experience of the caste system within India, within mm -hmm. uh, 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 the enslavement period in the United States, as well as the Holocaust. She pulls it together. And we watch in Ava DuVernay's film. I'm a huge Ava DuVernay uh, yeah, film I'm gonna be, I'm, uh, buff because she's mm -hmm. she does a lot of documentaries. And, and mm -hmm. part of the way she tells the story is it has documentary elements to it, which mm -hmm. is so interesting to me, the way she pulled this off. Um, but the story is is powerful. Mm -hmm. It's real. We need to deal with it. We need to. I mean, and for people who look like me, how would you know? <laughs> If it's not your part of any your neighborhood, your faith, your school, how would you know? We have to stay open to this learning. We have to be willing to do something with it as communicators to mm -hmm. really understand. To your point, you're absolutely right. The corporate version of DEI is divorced and it has a separation from liberation. And, you know, when you made that post on LinkedIn, you're staying consistent to saying, you know, police should have their, you know, take their knees off the neck of George Floyd and the black community and, you know, occupation, take the knees, you know, take your knees off the necks of, of anyone that you're occupying um, and it, everywhere in the world, but specifically mm -hmm. we're focused on, on freeing Palestine. So there's mm -hmm. a consistency of 
anyone who is doing this to somebody else, it's I'm supporting the, the freedom and the liberation of the people that this is happening to. Right. And it, it and and that's that's being missed in the conversation in diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially when it comes to social topics when they become crisis situations, mm-hmm. which is what we've been experiencing since October seventh of twenty twenty three. So, Alexandria, how do we support you? How do <laughs> like what what do you need from us as communicators within organizations? Who what kind of conversations do you want us to have? And with whom, especially in tightening that relationship with employee mm-hmm. resource groups so we can leverage our, the channels that we have control over, the content that we post internally and externally. How can we help? Um, the first thing that comes to mind of how everyone can help is I would just say, and I know you talk about this a lot on your podcast, Kim, but like just to reiterate the importance of language Something that really irritated some of my leadership um, when I was at CCC is how direct I am. Um, And it took me so long to learn how to be direct and just to be very clear in what I'm saying. And it was out of a love of being heard and understood. I just don't want to be misunderstood or not heard. But, you know, it would irritate my leaders for me to even use anti-racism or to to say that that's racist or, you know, just to like name things for what they are. And even when, you know, my leadership team, you know, in the intervening years between 2020 and now, when crises would happen, when uh, mass shootings would happen and they would send out communications, you could tell just from what they were saying that they don't get it. They're not here with us. This is not solidarity that they're showing us because they're not calling it what it is. They're not saying, oh, this white supremacist shot up this shot up this black um, supermarket. You know, that language, naming something for what it is, is so important, especially for the people who are living through it. For the people who are living through it, if you can't name it, they, they see it immediately that you don't know, you don't, you're not trying to know, you're not trying to get engaged. So I just want to point that out in terms of the importance of language and what you are saying and to say, call things for what they are. So people will know. So people will really know not just what you're saying, but who you are and what you know. I love that. That is inclusive communications, my friends. That is calling a thing a thing, being accurate about it, being Mm -hmm. honest about it. Okay. Uh, So there's relationships that we have that we need to strengthen when it comes to employee resource groups Mm -hmm. and when it comes to cultural moments. So, and also in social, you know, crisis situations Mm -hmm. from as, as a co-chair of an employee resource group and as an employee where Mm -hmm. you have seen communities that you are a part of end up in the headlines, like you were talking Mm -hmm. about Buffalo, um, the grocery, uh, the Mm -hmm. grocery store massacre. And when, what is your advice? What is what you would like to see organizations do as part of their decision-making, their decision tree of Mm -hmm. what to say, when to say it internally versus perhaps externally? Mm -hmm. I love that question. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how undemocratic workplaces are. And I really came to a head with that as the co-chair of the ERG because it was interesting to be 
setting up a democratic group because we were always constantly looking for their feedback. Um, we were always sending out surveys, always engaging our members on what they wanted to see, how we were doing, things like that. Mm-hmm. But then to be, so we're forming a democratic group, but then to be like working in a not democratic organization where, you know, they're not asking us for our opinions on things. They're not asking us about timing on things. You know what I'm saying? So that is what would be really nice because what I was finding is that when I asked my colleagues what they thought about things or how things should be done, people had so many ideas. People have so many ideas. And the things that we were able to come together on, like collaborate on and come together on in terms of what we want to see for our programming, for the ERG, how often people want to be, want to be communicated with, how they want to be communicated with, things like that. I mean, that just strengthened the bonds of our group because we met them on that base level of, okay, we're partnered together in this. What do you need? Here's what I need. Let's collaborate on that. I don't see why workplaces can't be more democratic, especially, especially when it comes to DEI stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, the people on the ground, like the employees, they, they know like something that really irritated me about CCC is how often leadership treated us like we were kids. Like we were just their kids and that we had to wait for information or we just got information when we really needed it. And, you know, like we're all adults here. Everyone has ideas. Everyone is in this role for a reason. They're at this company for a reason and we should honor that. So my thought would be is to introduce more democracy into the workplace, especially when it comes to communications, especially with these sensitive topics, you know, engage people about how they want to be engaged, engage people about, you know, what words they should use, what what they want to hear from their leadership team. They know what they want to hear, but they're not going to just tell them, you know, that's not the world that we live in that, you know, a worker will just come up and say, well, this is what we should have, even though I will say I did do that a few times with my leaders. <laughs> not to say that they enjoyed it, but I do enjoy giving feedback. But, but yeah, introducing some more democracy, into the workplace, into these processes, and um, empowering people to be engaged and to have a hand in the creation of a new future for that organization and for the world, I think is critical. Thank you. Thank you for that. And uh, I asked this question to everybody uh, towards the end of the conversation. Perhaps you've already answered, but if you want to add some more to it, please do. What does it sound and look like to you as an employee uh, you know, and all of the identities that you bring to the workplace and the personal and professional experience you bring to the workplace, what does it look like and sound like for us to communicate like we give a damn? Mm. I think communicating like you give a damn, I'd say it requires persistence and clarity. I know I touched on this a little bit, but obviously language, naming a thing for what it is, that is key. But what I've also found in terms of becoming a good communicator and being a better communicator is persistently communicating my message. (laughs) Um, I can't just say one thing once and then have people reflect on it or think about it further. It has to be constant, especially if you know, in my role as the co-chair of the ERG, me and Rob were really looking to enact cultural change at CCC. That's what we were really doing because this is a 40-year company. It's been, I mean, the people in power at that company are mostly white men to this day. 
we were looking for cultural change. And to do that, it can't just be saying this one thing one time or saying even saying this one thing in this one way. Figuring out being creative and how we are communicating with our ERG, with the leadership, but also saying the same thing, you know, many times to make sure that people understand it. Um, so I would say those are the two things that come to mind when it comes to communicating like you give a damn is clarity, naming a thing for what it is, and persistence. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So when you are going into your interviews and applying, what are you looking for <laughs> as far as like, are you checking out their kind of evidence of DEI practices and proof points? Like what, what are you looking for? Unless you're going to start your own thing, which a <laughs> lot of people do. Uh, a lot of people are like done and they go and start their own thing. I'm one of them. Uh, so you know so what's next for you and if you are going to go back in-house um then what are you looking for uh you know uh, whether it you know where are you looking and what are you looking for to help you decide that this is a good place for you to be yeah that's a great question um i'll definitely be looking to you know join another company i want to keep it 100 with you though like i feel like i'm really beyond the veil at this point Words on a web page, like you're telling me that you're diverse and inclusive, that's it, it's just not going to prove anything to me at this point because that's exactly what CCC had, and this is the experience that I had with them. So your values, like that's it. words on a web page, that's not going to do it for me anymore. It really will just be the conversations. I understand the system that we live in is conducive to the type of organization that CCC is being replicated all across the country and throughout the system. (laughs) Like CCC is not unique and the issues that they have are 100% systemic. So I am 100% expecting to run into those exact same problems at my next workplace. Um, But for me, I think it really will just be about the conversations that I have um, in the interviews, seeing if it's a good feeling um, because I don't know, even like the case studies around DEI, I'm I'm happy to see them, but it doesn't really speak to what the practice is when I'm there. It really doesn't because they can have the best case studies, like the best proof points, the best everything um, to put on display, but then I can still face a lot of discrimination and racism when I get there. And that also just brings to mind too, just thinking of, you know, how organizations are selling themselves as diverse and inclusive and which is what CCC was doing as well. As co-chair of the ERG, I was actually privy to some of the less uh, appealing uh, metrics that CCC had around diversity. One of them being the fact that three out of four of the black people who work at CCC occupy the lowest rungs of the um, salary of the salary table. So. I don't see that. I mean, that's what I would be very encouraged to see, actually. <laughs> that's what I would be encouraged to see is like, okay, you're showing me all the good stuff. What's the bad stuff? Yeah. What do you, you know? Yanla Van Zandt says, what do you not want me to know? <laughs> what do you don't want, what do you not want to tell me? <laughs> exactly. That's what would be encouraging. I will say that because at this point for me now, it's just about transparency. And even, you know, 
I remember, uh, you know, going back and forth with the chief, uh, the chief strategy officer, Mark, and the HR lead uh, for diversity, Julie, and she would be like, you know, what do you want from us right now? Like, what, like, I know you have all these ideas about what we should be doing, like, but what do you think that we can achieve right now? And every time I would tell her transparency, it's, it's transparency. It really is. Because if you can tell the people where we are right now and where we're heading, then that will lead to trust. And that's what we need. Especially after, I mean, after they canceled uh, the ERGs meeting behind our backs last October, trust was completely broken. Not just me and Rod, all 100 people in the ERG, they knew, they knew, and it was, it was horrible. We even got an anonymous email um, to me and Rod and to Julie and the chief HR officer at CCC saying that this person was saying that they're scared to even be black at CCC now because of what happened with this, all this retaliation that me and Rod had faced and the ERG had faced. So transparency, <laughs> that's what would yeah. show me. And pay equity should be a part of that transparency. Exactly. You know, exactly. like you were talking about the data set that you saw. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have struggled with PR people uh, when we were putting together like an annual report, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that I I was brought in to help write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, and that, that those are the kinds of questions that I get. It's just like, mm-hmm. so what are we, what are you, what's on the cutting room floor that I'm not seeing here? Right. You know, because right. there is a whole story here that mm-hmm. people aren't dumb. Yes. You know, pe- exactly. people aren't. You know, you know, to your point, people are adults and people mm-hmm. who are really paying attention, they're connecting the dots and we're yes. not going to, you know, pull one over on them. You know, it's like it just mm-hmm. knowingly do that, doing that, you know, it, it, it just sets the truth always comes out. It just it, does. it just does. It does. And pretty much, you know, every guest I have on here who is a PR professional or a crisis communications professional. They will say that <laughs> and they'll just like, we have to handle this. Like you have to own your own narrative. And so just be honest of where you are. Right. And then go from there, but led by the people who are closest to the work where things can make a very positive difference within culture. So what does a management consultant do, Alexandria, just in case somebody is saying, hey, I'm, I want to bring Alexandria in. <laughs> What do you do as a management consultant? As a management consultant, I really do a lot of storytelling and data analysis. So I will tell a story around a product um, in, or in order to help, you know, in, in sell that product to a client. Um, and then I work a lot. I love Excel. I do a lot of um, uh, Excel analyses, like ROIs, returns on investments, um, things like that to prove the value of a product. So, and I also optimize um Work processes, um, you know, resources, things like that. So really, just looking at an entire organization or team to get the most out of it based on data, and then selling that to them. I'm so glad there's people like you in the world to balance people like me in the world. <laughs> Do you think that you'll, um, you know, want to get involved in the ERGs wherever you end up next? I don't think so, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't think so. Um, I mean, I think I'll get involved because I love the community building aspect of it, and it was a great way to meet people. Um, but in terms of the leadership of it, I 
I don't know. Maybe this is all very fresh. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is. Awesome. It is all very fresh. Um, but I really, my favorite part of, of being a part of the ERG and being in the leadership of the ERG was having the ability to talk to all the people in the ERG. The worst part of it was partnering with leadership. So I think that I would be involved in another leader, in another ERG, but I don't think that would be part of leadership. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of, I, I, I really do hope you're taking some time for yourself. And I know you're, you're wanting to, to, to share your story and help as many other people to, you know, not replicate the pattern that the graphic has even predicted <laughs> yes. um, and to also improve, you know, circumstances uh, for you. Uh, it, it's just, I really do hope that you get, you know, karma. Yes. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, karma is real. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and the next organization and every organization that gets the opportunity to uh, be blessed by your talent and skills uh, is, is lucky. Thank you so, so much. So please reach out to Alexandria Dunn on LinkedIn, should you have an opening or can connect her. Um, and to everyone who has had these kinds of experiences or is currently having this experience and haven't left the organization one way or another yet, there are people who are really suffering and trying to do the right thing and stay integrity with the company values as well as their personal values. We need to tell the story and be open and honest and transparent about where our organizations are and go from there. Not try to be some, you know, the big boys that we think that we are. We're not. And... We can smell through it. We can see through it. It is causing more harm than good. Alexandria, how can uh, people find you on LinkedIn or elsewhere? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn just at Alexandria Dunn, and I'm on Instagram at a comma one three one two. That sounds like the analytic side of your brain, like naming yourself. Like I do cutesy names and you're, you're like numbers. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for your time and for your willingness to share your story. You know, there's a lot of people who make other choices and, and valid reasons for why they would not go out and share their stories. Mm -hmm. But this is a reality that communicators and organizations have to be dealing with. There are people on our watch in our employee base right now having a very similar experience. Find them, listen to them, and do something about it in your work. Thanks for joining us, Alexandria, and we'll see you next time on Communicate Like You Give a Damn. Thank you. Okay, so what popped out to you from this conversation? And I mean, it may take a minute to process, but be sure not to brush off what you just heard. Look, you just need a partner to be with you through this experience and understand what to do next. So I'm inviting you to set up a one-on-one strategy session. All you need to do is go to communicate like you give a damn the podcast.com and you'll see the button there. The more conscious communicators in the world, the better the world. So thank you for listening. And until next time, let's communicate like we give a damn.